Bless him, bless him, bless him. Father, we thank you for your word that we're about to enter into right now. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. Remove every distraction of mind and heart, Lord God. Let your power go forth through your word. Change our lives for your glory, for your honor, and for your namesake. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. We want you to be able to follow along in the intro. We want you to be able to take some notes. Uh, I just want to forewarn you, I, I, didn't do a, I didn't do a good job proofreading, and so there are some typos in your outline, but, you know, praise the Lord. We'll, we'll fix it all up. Amen? Amen? But in your outline, you'll see here, and so, again, just keep your hand up, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. But we live in a culture. We live in a culture where comfort is king and happiness is the chief desire. Someone say amen to that. This is true, is it not? I don't know about you, but this morning when I got up, you know, I, I, I put on clothing based upon comfort. Come on now. When you go and you buy shoes, I think, I don't know, I would assume you buy them based on comfort. You put them on, you're like, well, especially the older you get. Because when you're younger, like, you don't care, right? But, but when you get a little bit older, you're like, hold on a second. Glory to God. Wait, 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 wait. That's my brother L. He's here today. He loves Jordans because Jordans are comfortable and they look nice. You got it all in one, right? <sighs> But typically, right, we, we, that, that, that's how we are. Like, we want to be comfortable. We want to we wanna have comfort. And here's the thing. The American dream offers these, this comfort and happiness in the context of success. And yet, the church is to be consumed with a pursuit of holiness above all else. Christianity, if you didn't know this newsflash, is not about your comfort or your happiness. And I'm smiling when I say that. It's not, it, it's not about your feelings. It's not about you being comfortable. If anything, Christianity should move you out of your comfort. It should move you away from being comfortable with status quo, with living a, a, a certain type of lifestyle. The real Christianity is not comfortable. Read the book of Acts. I challenge you. It's funny, Sister Raquel, she challenged us to read through the book of Acts in the month of January, and I want to I wanna just up the challenge. I want to challenge you to read the book of Acts every month for 2022. This is what I, what, what, what I sensed the Lord communicating to me last night, and the reason why is because I, I believe God wants to ingrain with us what real Christianity is about. I believe that God wants to, wants to revive in us a hunger and a thirst for more of him. And as you read the book of Acts, if you will read it and meditate on it and pray through it, what God will do is he will turn your heart upside down and he will make you uncomfortable with what you see in Christianity today in general. It's not just supposed to be some Bible study or some time that we talk about the word. Absolutely, we should be doing that. That should bring edification and hope. But there should be, as Pastor Aldo was talking about, tears were coming to his eyes about it. There should be life transformation taking place. And that is only by the power of God's spirit. That is only by the spirit of God. What's supposed to happen is we're supposed to be transformed from those who are enemies of God to those who are friends of God and who now want to live for the glory of God. 
So when I think about myself before I came to Christ, I was a gangbanger, I was a womanizer, I was a drug user, I was an abuser, I was a dishonorer of parents, I was everything terrible under the sun, I was above everything else a hater of God and his enemy. That's what I was in my rebellion. And when God saved me, what he did was he turned me from someone who hated him. What do you mean you hated him? Did you walk around? No, no, no. My actions said, I hate you. Every time that I had sex outside of marriage, you know what I was saying? I hate you. Because you said that I'm supposed to be married and do that, and I'm doing it my, oh, wait a second. Oh, wait, wait, we're going deep, Bishop. Yeah? (laughs) Every time that I got drunk or I got high, what I was saying is, I hate you because you don't want me to live like that. Every time that I abuse someone, every time I disrespect it, I know some people think like disrespecting mom, is da- mom and dad is not a big deal. Let me tell you a story one day. I'll never forget this. My, my, my mom, when I, when I first got saved as a Christian, some of you might have heard this story before, so just in, 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 indulge me in this. But, but I remember, I, you know, when I, when I got saved, I didn't ask my mom for permission for anything, Never. Because I thought before I got saved, I thought that, you know, I was the man. I was, you know, 17 years old. I thought I knew everything. I didn't have to ask you for when I was, when, when I was, going, when, when I was going out, where I was going. The only thing I asked for, because I was broke, I asked for money. Hello. <laughs> I'll never forget one day I came home and, my, and, a, and a couple of friends, Christian friends, they were like, hey, let's go play basketball. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So I said, hey, Ma. So I don't know why I decided to ask hey, can I go play basketball? And she was like, no. And I said, what? <laughs> and I'm like, mom, I'm going to play ba- with Christians. I'm not going to hang out with my, uh, you know, my crazy friends. And I'm, I'm going to hang out with Christian guys. I'm, I'm going to go play basketball. What, what? No, no. I'm like, why not? I mean, I was like just upset. And I never forget, I was all just like discombobulated. I, I, I mean, I was tore up. I was so, how could this woman... Tell me no. And I remember I went to the bathroom, and, and, and it was funny because that morning my mom was like in, I heard her like banging, right? She was hanging stuff up because now I was a Christian, so she was hanging stuff up all over the house. She was like, I want my son to be holy. And I don't even remember everything that was there. All I remember is reading one of the things she put up on the wall, and the last thing said to let go and let God. And I don't know, something broke inside of me because what God was communicating to me in that moment is you need to honor your mom. If she says no, you say okay. And from that moment, I can tell you and I can confess this to you. Man, I never raised my voice to my mom again. I never did. She said, no, okay, mom, whatever. I was, I was respectful because you know what God says? Think about this. He, the first commandment with promise is what? Honor your father and your mother. Hello, come on, somebody. But every time that I dishonor him, what I'm, dishonor them, what I am saying to God is what? I hate you. Y'all think that's too much, huh? That's what our disobedience is. Our disobedience is saying, I hate you. I don't respect you. I would rather do it my way. I'm okay being your enemy. That's how I was. But you know what God did? (laughs) That but and then, hallelujah. He saved me and he turned my heart around. He transformed my life. That's what God's spirit does. He works in us. And you know what he was doing? He was making me holy. He was turning me and making me more like him. He let me understand he is holy, so I have to be holy. 
Today we're starting a series in the book of Leviticus. I know you're all excited about that. <laughs> you're lucky I didn't say numbers. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> you know, I could have said numbers. You'd have really been in for it. <laughs> but we're starting a series in the book of Leviticus. And the, 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 the theme of this series is a call to image bearers. How many of you know that you are called and created to be an image bearer of the Most High God? You realize that when God said that he created us, he created us in his image and in his likeness. And so we were created image bearers. We are supposed to bear the image of the almighty God. We sinned, and because we sinned, that image was marred. When you come to Christ, you are called to be a reflection of the new person you are. Hello. A call to image bearers. And I think this is in your outline here. As image bearers, we've been assigned to represent God in the world. As one author has said, listen to these words, whatever else the professing church may be known for today, great crowds, expensive buildings, big budgets, budgets political clout, it's not, it's not distinguished for its holiness. Bible-believing evangelical Christians make up a sizable minority in the United States, but our presence isn't making much of an impact on society. The salt seems to have lost its saltiness, and the light is so well hidden that the marketplace is quite dark. I want you to know these words weren't written like recent. These words were written a long time ago. I believe the, the, the person who said those words is, is dead at this time. But it's funny how these words still resonate today. And even more so, it's humbling that we are supposed to be known for holiness. We are supposed to be known for being different than the world, having a different system of goals, a different desire than the world. We are supposed to be known for those things, but what are we known for? Let me ask you this. What do we strive for? What do we strive for? We strive for those things, don't we? We, we? we strive after those things as a church. We strive for things that are the same value system as the world. I want to talk to you about Leviticus. I want to give you some facts about Leviticus, and then we're going to actually turn to the scripture we're going to deal with today, which you may think is going to be kind of weird because we're going to be in 1 Peter, but I'm going to be opening up and talking about Leviticus, but I'll explain that in a moment. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and you'll be ready <clears throat> when it's time to dive in here. But I want to give you a few facts about the book of Leviticus. The name Leviticus comes from the ancient Greek translation, translation the Septuagint, which titled the composition uh, Luitikin. Uh, and, and this, what it means is the book of the Levites. The book of the Levites. But here's the thing. The Levites are not, and this is on the screen here because that's not in your outline. The Levites are not, however, the major characters of this book. The title rather points to the book as useful to the Levites in their ministry as worship leaders and teachers of morals. Did you catch that? When we look at the book of Leviticus, we think for some reason, because it starts out, right, like the first seven chapters, I believe, they are talking about seven different types of sacrifice. And so it's easy to just tune out Leviticus and be like, well, this is just instruction for the Levites. But no, no, this is not instruction for the Levites. This is instruction for the Levites so they can instruct the people of God. 
The last verse of Leviticus, it sets the book in its scriptural context. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for Israel. And so that, that, that's the last verse, and this is what God is doing. He's communicating these words, these commands, not suggestions. He's giving them commands. I know in our culture, we don't want commands, right? We don't, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to, to dictate our lives. We don't want anybody to really hold us accountable. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that they just don't want to be accountable, they, they, they want to do it their way. They want to do church their way. They want to live how they want to live. They don't want accountability to the body of Christ because they have their own ideas. Just look around, y'all. Our own ideas haven't got us to where God wants us. But here's, here's an expanded version of that verse to give you a little bit more uh, uh, clarity on the context. There's, these are the commands, the covenant obligations. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God gave Moses the covenant mediator on Mount Sinai, the covenant place for Israel, the covenant people. Are you here? These are the commands, the covenant obligations. How many of you know that we are in a new covenant with God? Raise your hand if you know that. We are in a new covenant with God. I got like four hands up. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm educating some of the rest of you. We are in a new covenant with God. We, we, we have entered into, if you don't raise your hand, I got to explain it. Hallelujah. So next time, raise your hand or else I got to go into explanation. Okay. Let's try that again. How many of you know we are in a new covenant with God? All of a sudden, everybody knows. Okay. Okay. I, I see. I see how it is. <laughs> but we are in a new covenant. There, there was still half the hands down, so y'all going to have to just work with me. But we are in a new covenant under the old covenant, which is what Leviticus is written in. This was an old covenant, a covenant of the law that was given to the children of Israel. This covenant was what, what was given to them because what? Because God wanted to instruct them on how to live in the land that he was bringing them into. He wanted to give them these instructions. But then something happens. Jesus comes on the scene and he dies in our place fulfilling all of the law. Check it out fulfilling everything that was written before him, and then something happens. He, by his blood, he brings us into what is called the new covenant. But check this out. We still have commands today. Are you here? Because some people will have you believe, well, you know, there's really no commands. We have a new covenant. So because we're forgiven, because our salvation is secure in Christ, we don't have to worry about anything. Hold on a second. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And as someone said, and it smells like smoke, hello. It's not the truth. The truth is we are. Now look at this. You just, just look again at that expanded thing. These are the commands, the covenant obligations. We still have covenant obligations. Sister D, a, a while back, I don't remember what she, she, she sent to me because I said that one day I was going to look up the New Testament and see how many commands were actually there for New Testament believers. And she sent me a number, and I, and I don't remember the number. All I know is it was over like 100. Hello. So it isn't like the commands that God gave us as New Testament believers went down. No, no, no. These are the commands, the covenant obligations. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God. We still serve the same covenant God. Amen? Amen. Gave Moses the covenant mediator. Who's the covenant mediator of the new covenant? Come on, y'all know the answer. It's church. Come on, come on. There you go. Come on, y'all know this. <laughs> If you didn't know, anytime you get a question asked, just say Jesus, amen. Because <laughs> at minimum, you're going to get an amen, right? I mean, just, just say Jesus. 
<laughs> but the, the right answer is Jesus is the new covenant mediator. Mount Sinai, the covenant place, where is the covenant place? It's a mountain, but it's not Mount Sinai for us. Calvary, Golgotha. That's where he mediated the covenant by his blood. That is where Jesus shed his blood. That is where he cut the blood covenant for us to be able to enter into with him. And then Israel is God's covenant people. Who are God's covenant people today? Everyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. God hasn't forgotten about Israel. I don't want to get into that right now. But we are God's. We're adopted. There it is. We are brought into the family of God. We are brought into a relationship. We Gentiles, those who were not part of the covenant people, because of the blood that was shed, because of the gospel that we preach, now we have access to God. Leviticus cannot be understood apart from God's purpose for his covenant people. I need you to, I, I need you to hear this. In the account of Moses' struggle with Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 4 through 12, God repeatedly called for the freedom of Israel for what? To worship him. Let that sink in for a moment. He didn't just, he didn't just go to free them. Let my people go so they can be free and they go do what they want to do. No, no, no. Let my people go so they can worship me. Let my people go so they can enter into worship. In a real sense, the Exodus deliverance was incomplete until Israel began to worship God at Sinai. We see that in Exodus 3.12. Thus fulfilling God's goal for the Exodus, Israel was set free from Egyptian slavery and brought into a new covenant relationship with God precisely so that they might be free to worship. As, as we're in here, right, and we're singing, what are we doing? We're doing what we were created for. Why is it that God wants their worship? Is it because he's some narcissist? Is that why he wants their worship? I need to free them so they can go worship me because I need someone to worship me. That, is, that, that, that isn't why God wants them to worship him. Can, can I tell you why God wants your worship? He wants your worship for you. Because he knows that every other idol that you bow to, every other thing that you worship will leave you empty, will leave you broken, will leave you in despair. He wants you to worship him because he wants you to know love. He wants you to know grace. He wants you to know peace. He wants you to know life. He wants you to be free from those things that hold on to you. Worship is the answer, my friends. Last night I was leaving church as I was walking out of here. There was a beautiful truck that was sitting right in the, in, the, in the guest parking spot. And I looked at that truck and I started to covet. Hallelujah. And I was like, man. I mean, it, it, it was dark and you could see like from 10 feet away the, 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 the water rolling down. It was like, oh, that thing is beautiful. <laughs> and in case y'all don't know, I, 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 I'm, like, I'm like, man, I can't wait till it's my turn to get a truck. I'm just waiting right for the right time. But you know what I did? This is what I did. As soon as I got in my car and I drove by the truck, I said, thank you, Lord, that I don't have that payment. <laughs> I started to worship. Worship was the answer, right? Because I could have been depressed, and, and then I end up in a car payment that I don't even want, glory to God. I want the car. I don't want the payment, amen? But you know what liberated my heart from feeling any kind of way? I ran quick, and then I worshiped. I'm just kidding. <laughs> worship is the answer. Seriously, worship is the answer. 
God wants us to worship because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know peace, fulfillment. He wants us to know life. God's not some narcissist saying, oh, you got to worship me because you owe me. God is a God who benevolently saves us when we are unworthy and says, I want you to worship me because that's where you are going to get your best from. But it's in the context of worship. And let me just qualify this. Worship is not just singing. But let me also qualify this. Singing is part of worship. It's not the only thing. Worship is a lifestyle that we live. Worship is what we give God at all times. Continuing on, I think this is in your outline. Leviticus tells New Testament Christians how to appreciate holiness and appropriate it to their lives daily or their everyday lives. The, the, the word holy is used, and I'm just trying to give you some foundation for the book of Leviticus here. The word holy is used 91 times in Leviticus. And, and, and words connected to cleansing are used 71 times. References to uncleanness number 128. There should be no question what this book is about. This book is about holiness. The book of Leviticus is about holiness. And so, but wasn't the book of Leviticus written to priests and Levites in ancient Israel? You might ask that question. The answer is yes. <laughs> but the lessons in Leviticus aren't limited to the Jews in ancient Israel. The spiritual principles in this book apply to Christians in the church today. The key verse, the key verses of Leviticus found six times there is be holy for I am holy. We find it in, 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 in Leviticus 11, 44 through 45. They are applied in the New Testament church in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, we're here in 1 Peter chapter 1. So let's just read this really quickly, and I'll continue to give you a few more points here. But 1 Peter chapter 1, look at what he says in verse 13. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That's the quote that we have here specifically from the book of Leviticus. And so what is God communicating to the, the people of God here in the book of 1 Peter? He is communicating that same call and mandate to holiness in the Old Testament is still the same today for the people of God today. Hasn't changed. God's call has not changed. God's mandate has not changed. We are called to be holy and the book of Leviticus is also quoted or referred to over a hundred times in the New Testament. And so here's the deal. Since all scripture was given by the inspiration of God, we know that's 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, then all scripture is profitable for God's people to use in developing godly lives. Someone say amen. amen. Jesus said that we should live by every word that God has given us, Matthew 4, 4, and that includes Leviticus. Let me just throw in there, that includes Numbers, hallelujah. That includes First and Second Chronicles, right? You get lost in those books, you're like, I don't know about you, but I be nodding all the time, like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. But all of that is good for our inspiration. So the book of Leviticus explains five basic themes, and we're going to unpack these over the next few weeks, and, 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 and they relate to the life of holiness. Number one, a holy God. Number two, a holy priesthood. Number three, a holy people. Number four, a holy land. And number five, a holy savior. 
These are the five things that are, that are unpacked, and that's how we're, we're not going to go through every single page of the book of Leviticus because that would take a really long time. And we are not the children of Israel. But we need to look at the principles that are found throughout this book so we can understand how holy God really is. So we can understand how holy we are supposed to be. And I, I just, I, I want to I take us over, just look with me really quick. You're, you're already there in the book of 1 Peter. But I want you to look over here at verse 4. Just look at chapter 2, verse 4, next chapter over 1 Peter, because I want you to understand something about the priesthood of believers. This is so important for us to grasp. And so he says in verse 4, he says, Coming to him as to, live, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones <clears throat> are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Did you hear that? But let me, let me read that again. As living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to pause for a moment. Look at your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, you are a priest. No, 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 tell them, no, no, I'm serious. <laughs> See, the church has got this thing convoluted and mixed up, right? And we look to, like, spiritual people, right? I'm pointing to myself. I'm not saying. But listen, y'all know that I, I let you know that I do not walk on water. I, I let y'all know that. But we look, to our, we look to our pastors, our elders, our bishops. We look to our priests, right? We, that, but listen, I want you to understand something. In the Old Testament, that priesthood was to a select group of people. That new covenant, remember we talked about earlier that you said you knew about? That new covenant, you know what Jesus did? This is what happened when Jesus was on the cross. He tore the veil. The reason he tore that veil is because he was saying, I am putting an end to the Old Testament priesthood, and I am bringing you into a New Testament priesthood of all believers, not just a select few. This is, what, this is what should happen to us. We should understand that we, listen, you, I don't, I, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know or don't know. You have the same access to God's presence as anybody because of what? What Jesus did. Because he tore the veil. And he said, I want all to come. I don't just want some to come once a year. I want all to come to me every day. Every I want you to access me at any moment, in any place, wherever you are. Now, remember what, I, remember what it said here. Not what I said, what it said here. He is building a spiritual house. That means that we need to gather together as the body because what? We are that spiritual house. You're not a house by yourself. We are the house of God. This is a building where the house of God comes. Are you here? We have to gather together because we are the dwelling place that God is building. And so he goes in verse 6, Therefore it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. 
And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. I want you to hear that. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. They're not appointed to stumble. They're appointed to this word of salvation. Are you here? Hello? The people who reject God, they are appointed to that word, to hear the word of salvation. And they reject it. They stumble because they can't get with this Jesus who died for them and rose again. They can't get with that. They, they, can't, they don't understand their need for a savior. But look what he goes on to say, verse 9. This is where I wanted, wanted us to get to, if you didn't believe what I was saying earlier. <laughs> But you, say but you. But you. Look at your neighbor. <laughs> say but you. <laughs> Are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Hold on a second. I love the way that sounds. But can I, can I just, you see what God just did right here? He gave us an upgrade to the priest of old. Hello. In the Old Testament, there were kings and priests, separate positions. You know what God did in the new covenant? He married them. Hallelujah. You are royal priesthood. Amen. Come on. Keep, keep, keep repeating after me. Say, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. That is who you are. That is who you are. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Oh, I have 12 minutes and 15 seconds to finish this sermon. Glory to God. Uh, Y'all believe in miracles, right? Amen. So do I. I want you to think about this. When holiness is our primary pursuit, we will find everything we're looking for. When holiness is our primary pursuit, we will find everything we are looking for. That's why we need to make it a point that we are pursuing holiness above all else. Holiness is not just a thing. Holiness is a person. God is holy. Matthew 6.33 tells us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto us. The problem with us is that we're running after all things instead of righteousness and his kingdom. We're pursuing all things. We have, we have, just read Matthew chapter 6. Go, when, when you go home with your homework with Acts and, and, and read Matthew also, amen. Double up on that day. Yeah. Read Matthew and see because we become like the pagans. We become like Gentiles. We become like the world in that we are worried about and we're consumed with these other things. And God is like, man, look at the lilies of the field. <laughs> look at the birds of the air. He's like pointing out all these things that he provides for. He's saying, look, don't worry. Seek first his kingdom. 
When holiness is our, our primary pursuit, we will find everything we are looking for. The first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, you cannot be a faithful image bearer without being holy. You cannot be a faithful image bearer without being holy. The verses that we read earlier in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Six times. In the book of Leviticus, God calls his people to be holy. This call, again, is quoted, as, I, as you just see here, in 1 Peter, and it is echoed throughout all of the writings of the New Testament. Here's something that should happen. It should be understood that holiness in the life of the follower of Jesus is not optional. Again, remember we talked about the covenant commands? Holiness is a covenant command. And so you can't say, well, I'm going to come to Jesus, I'm just not going to be holy. No, no, no. And, and you cannot say, because here's the problem with us, is that we try to determine what the standard is going to be. God has already determined the standard. That is the reason why we need to be in his word where we find these covenant commands. Hello. We need to be in the scriptures. We need to be soaking in the word of God, right? Not like taking, you know, it is kind of like taking a shower in the scriptures every day. The word of God is what? It is like water, the water of God's word. Husbands are supposed to love their wives, and they're supposed to wash their wives in the water of God's word. So husbands, that's just an aside for you. If you are not communicating God's word to your spouse, if you are not helping your wife grow in the grace of God, you are not doing your job. You Check this out. You're not being holy. Because when I love my wife the way Scripture says, you know what I'm doing? I am being holy unto the Lord. When I disobey, I am being unholy. But God's word is like water, and so you know what should be happening? We should be feasting. We should be bathing in. We should be soaking in the water of God's word. Not once in a while. Not Listen, you don't just come and t you know, tap your toe in on Sunday morning. No, no, no. You are supposed to be in these Scriptures. Allowing the Spirit of God to wash you, to cleanse you. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit's anointing you and filling you with wisdom and grace to live the way that he wants. We have to be in God's word so we can know what his commands are. In God's kingdom, I love what one, one writer said, in God's kingdom, holiness is not a luxury but a necessity. It's not some ornament that you add to your life. It is a necessity that we need. It should be clear that every act of obedience is holy. Like I said, when I'm loving my wife, that's holy. When my wife is submitting to me, that is holy. When we are raising our parents, our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that is holy. When my children are honoring me and honoring my wife, that is holy. When I am working and I'm doing it unto the Lord, that is holy. When I am obeying him, that is holy. Holiness is not just what you walk away from. Holiness is how you live for him. Everything that we do that is obedience, that is holiness. Our mandate as followers of Jesus is to be holy. That is what living by faith is about. That's what pleasing the Lord is about. What's our vision? To please the Lord in everything that we do. Living lives of obedience to the written and revealed direction of the word of God. That is what obedience is. That is what faith is. It is obeying the scriptures. 
It is obeying. It is walking by faith. It is, it is adhering to the standards of God, not my own. That's what a faithful image bearer does. God has standards. I rise to them. I don't bring them down to my level. Just like Israel, God has redeemed us from bondage and called us to himself to worship him alone. And in that proclaim, we read this, the praises of his name before a dying, depraved, and destitute world. As a billboard of his glory, holiness paints a clear picture of the glory of God. Listen to me. To be unholy is to rob God of his glory. To be unholy is to rob God of his glory. We are called to bring glory to him and him alone. We are called to live our life that way. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, you cannot be a fruitful image bearer without being holy. You cannot be a fruitful image bearer without being holy. We talked about being a faithful image bearer. But that, that, that's being consistent. That's what it means to be faithful. Listen, none of us is going to be perfect this side of heaven. Are you here? That doesn't mean that you just live in the place of, well, I'm not perfect. No, no, no. You need to repent. You need to repent of your imperfections often, like every day. Hello. And sometimes multiple times a day. Not just live in that place where, hey, I was raised. Uh-huh, you were raised like that. That doesn't align with God's command for your life. I don't care how you were raised. You're called to live a certain way. You're called to honor God a certain way. Does the way you were raised align with Scripture? If it does, yes and amen. If it doesn't, repent. Yeah, but I've repented. But have you fasted? Oh, fasting. Yeah. Have you, have you stopped eating? Have you turned off the television? Have you got your face in the word of God and gotten down on your knees and say, Lord, I don't want to be the product of how I was raised. I don't want to have the attitude that I was raised in. I want to be a man or a woman of God who honors you with my mouth, who honors you with my... Have you done all that? Or you just said, well, I prayed about it and I'm just imperfect. And I'm covered by the grace of God. Man, that is some cheap Christianity. And that's the problem in our culture, is that we live in a, in, in, in a, in a culture of cheap Christianity. Like God doesn't have power. We prayed for our sister Kathy. God has power to heal her. Can I tell you something else? God has power to change you. Hello. The question is, are you submitting yourself to him or are you doing your own thing? You, you, you raising your own standards. Fruitfulness. We got to be fruitful. Fruitful is different because fruitful is about making an impact in culture. On Sunday morning, January 24th, 1861, in the 1800s, there's this guy by the name of Charles Hayden Spurgeon. And he closes his Sunday morning sermon with this quote An unholy church, it is of no use to the world and of no esteem among men. Oh, it is an abomination. Hell's laughter, heaven's abhorrence. And the larger the church, the more influential, the worse nuisance does it become when it becomes dead and unholy. The worst evils which have ever come upon the world have been brought upon her by an unholy church. Church, we are called to be holy unto the Lord. We're not called to play games. We are, listen, we are called to be holy because our Savior is coming. 
Our Lord and Savior is coming. We, we preach in the book of Revelation here. Y'all know we're looking forward to the return of Jesus. We are going to give an account for our lives in everything that we do. And so look at the scripture. And if you call, verse 17 here, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's works, that's the fruit of our lives, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in what? In fear. Our calling, our calling. It's not just to be faithful, but it is to be consistent, and it is to be, as, as an image bearer, it is to be fruitful, meaning what? That our existence as the church should leave a lasting impact as we live holy unto the Lord. So our life, when we're living holy, it should do what? It should impact those around us. It should impact the lives of those that are around us. Our works will be judged. That's the truth. You know that, right? One day you are going to stand before the Lord and you are going to give an account for everything you did or didn't do on this earth. That should create some fear in us. This should cause a holy fear. That's what Peter said here. The Apostle Paul, you can write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. The fruit of our labor, or what he says in 2 Corinthians verse 1, is that we are supposed to perfect holiness in the fear of God. You want to become more like God? You know, as we pray today, Lord, empty me so you can fill me. As we pray today, Lord, put a hunger in me. You know what you need to be praying for? God, give me a fear of your name. God, give me a fear of your name. Let me reverence. Let me tremble at your presence once again. Let me tremble at your word again. Listen, I love technology. I love the fact that we got Bible apps and we got all of this kind of stuff. But you know what? Some of us feel like we have, we have checked off our spiritual box because we got a little devo that we do and we read a scripture and we feel good about ourselves. Listen, I want you to know something. I, I think we need to get back to paper Bibles. Hello. I, I think we need to get back to just sitting down before the presence of God. And listen, go, go find a version that you understand. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. But we need to start spending time in the Word of God without distraction. And really understand, man, this is not just some electronic device that I play on and I mess around with and I, and, and I scroll here and scroll there. But this is the, the, you know what that does? It sanctifies this and makes this thing more holy than this thing. See, because what we have done is we have reduced God's word. I know that this is like real old school. I really don't care. But, but what we have done, and, and listen, I say we. I'm not saying you. I'm saying we because you know what? I study everything on my computer and on my phone. That's how I do stuff. You know what? And, and the Lord is right now as he's rebuking you, he's rebuking me. Listen, we need to get back to that place because what we do is we reduce God's word to everything else. We make it common. But you know what? When I got to go out of my way, when I got to go into a room somewhere and I got to sit down to pick up my Bible, I can't just pull it out of my pocket because no no, I got to go somewhere to be with God. What I am doing is I am saying, "God, you are holy." And I reverence your word. I'm, I I understand your word is holy. We got to get back to that place, church. Where God is holy because he is. He hasn't changed. We have. God wants to do something great in our days, but if we don't reverence his word, we don't reverence him. Fruitful people. We have to be fruitful people. We need the fear of the Lord within our hearts. That's how the fear of God begins because when we think about fear, we're thinking about, we're thinking about being scared. Yeah, I, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Some of y'all ain't going to like what I'm going to say. Some of y'all just need to be afraid of God. I love this. We were at this conference. I was reminded of this story. Let me just say it. I got 40 seconds, I think. No, I'm actually over 40 seconds already. I'm working, though. I'm working. We're getting to point three here. Huh. 
But I was reminded of this story. And, and the story was of this elder in his church who was committing adultery over and over again on his wife. And he, he, was, he was making excuses like, oh, you know, I just, I, you know, I, I can't control myself. And so there's this man of God. His name is Paul Cain, you know, powerful prophet of the Lord. He comes to the service. He's there, you know, elder and his wife. I don't mean to use you guys. I'm sorry. But <laughs> let me just point here. Elder and his wife, right there, empty. <laughs> and he says, sir, stand up. The Lord has a word for you. So he felt like, oh, yeah. The Lord is going to affirm that even though I do that, I'm good with him. And he said, the next time you commit adultery, you're going to die. Guess what never happened again? You know what happened in that moment? The fear of God came upon that man. And now, for some reason, he knew this man was a man of God. And when this guy said that to him, he understood, wait a second, I can't play with God. Some of y'all need to know you can't play with God. God is not someone to be played with. God is holy. God is righteous. We need to fear him. But there's this other side of fear that it is to respect him. It is to reverence him. You know, it's, it's, it's like a healthy relationship with a father or a mother. You know, especially dads because, you know, dads, we typically have the deeper voice, right? We're typically the stronger one. It's just kind of, you know, in most, in most situations, we are the more intimidating of the two. And, you know, in, in most situations, I, I know. <sighs> but, there, but, but there has to come a place. There has to come a place where there is a transition from I'm afraid of my dad whooping my behind to, man, I just respect my dad. Because if all you live your whole life is I'm afraid of my dad whooping my behind, guess what? There's going to come a point that that kid could whoop your behind. Hello. I'm just saying. You may not think so, but it'll come. But the point is what? Is that that I want to whoop his behind or her behind? Hello, come on. Equal, equal rights, right? <laughs> it said, I want them to respect me. That's what God wants from us, does he not? He wants us to respect him. He wants us to revere him. What needs to happen for us is that we need to see ourselves. Let me tell you what, what, what will help us become holy is we need to see ourselves as sojourners here. What does that mean? Look what he said. He said to conduct yourself a certain way while you are here because what is he saying? You are sojourners. You are a person who is a passerby in another translation. You are a person that is only a temporary resident, not a permanent citizen. Hello. So when we see ourselves as a temporary resident here in this earth that is going to give an account to God for all we live, well, that changed the way that we live because all of my glory is not about what I do here and what I experience here. The third point, I ask you to repeat this after me. Say, you cannot be holy apart from the redeeming grace of God. Well, you should have taken a deep breath right there. Everything that God is calling us to do cannot happen without the grace of God. Look at what Peter says here in verse 18. 
He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Jesus saves us. The blood of Jesus redeems us. The blood of Jesus is what motivates us to live for his glory because he shed holy blood so we could experience life. The blood of Jesus, he indeed, verse 20, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you who through him believes in God, who raised him from the dead, hallelujah, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Listen, we should be striving for holiness. But we have to understand this, that while God's standards are high, his grace is abundant. While his standards are high, his grace is abundant. Just as he redeemed Israel first. I want you to notice something. A lot of people don't realize this. Is that in the Old Testament, the ministry of grace was present. Did God, did God bring Moses to the people of Israel in Egypt and say, hey, here's all these things you got to do. And before I can liberate you, you have to agree to these. Did he do that? Of course he didn't. What did he do? Let my people go so they can worship me. Grace is that. Listen, before all the obligations hit you, you know what he said? I died for you. I shed blood for you. Because you know what? You were my enemy. I don't want you to be my enemy. I want you to be my friend. I don't, I don't just want you to be my friend. I want you to be my son. I don't just want you to be my son. I want you to be part of my bride. Hello. That's what he says. I redeemed you with the blood of Jesus. He died in our place so that we could have access to him in a relationship. And so what does God do after he, as he saves us, he calls us to what? Now we have to get this because you don't just come to God. I knew this and you have to know this to be true. You don't, you don't, you don't come to God just like, okay, God, I'm coming to you, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. You, you know that you're turning away from some stuff. Just like the children of Israel, they left some stuff in Egypt. Now, now, you would think, oh, they were in bondage. Oh, but they still had stuff. They learned to live in that bondage. And they had to leave everything that they knew in order to follow Christ. Well, it's the same thing for us, right? We come to him. We humble our hearts. We repent. We turn. We understand that the way that we've been living is not the right way. We understand that how we have been conducting ourselves is not the right way. And then we come to Jesus, who is our provision. And we put our faith in him. And we ask him to forgive us. And then what does he do? He starts to wash us up. He cleanses us. Our pursuit of holiness, understand this please, isn't an effort to earn something from God. Because you might hear me talking about the high call to holiness. And like I'm trying to say, you got to earn something. You, no, 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 you can't earn anything from God. God has already earned everything for you. That's the reason you live holy. Because guess what? Even though he doesn't hold it over your head, you owe him everything. Even though he doesn't remind you every day you go into prayer, hey, I gave you everything you have. He 
He doesn't do that. He wants us to be grateful. He wants us to live for his glory. The beauty of this is we're not trying to earn anything from God, but this is a response to God for all that he has done. Our redemption is secure. It is the the foundation for our holiness. The grace of God that redeemed us from sin's bondage, hear this, is the same grace that energizes our efforts towards holiness. Are you here? The same grace, the same grace that saved us from the bondage of sin is the same grace that, 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 that energizes us to live holy for him. While we must be committed to being holy and striving to grow in personal holiness, I want to read that last verse to you. Verse 21. Who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead. See, Jesus didn't just die. He rose again. That's the reason why we can have faith in him. Because a dead savior doesn't do anything for anyone except make them sentimental. Oh, if Jesus was still in the grave, you could get sentimental about the cross. You could still watch the Passion of the Christ, which is a very clear depiction of the beating that Jesus took, and get emotional, right, about that beating because he did it for you. But if he is in the grave, why would I put my faith in him? I can be grateful that he did something, but you know what? He didn't just die. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. He rose again, and and, and in that raising, he was given glory. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is there. So what? So that your faith and your hope are in him, not in yourself. Because you know what? There's going to be some days that you're going to be super holy. I hope that you're going to be the holiest you've ever been this week. Hallelujah. (laughs) I hope this week you don't curse. I hope this week you don't drink. I hope this week you don't look at any. I hope this week you just, like, get super, super, like, I mean, in it with God. And you know what's going to happen if you do that? You're going to feel real good. You're going to be like, man, I'm walking this thing out. Bishop ain't going to hit me next week and be like, he's going back to Leviticus. He's going to be like, yep, yep, I'm going to be there. Amen, amen. But you know what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. At some point, you're going to drop the ball. At some point, you are going to fall short. At some point, you're going to do that thing you shouldn't do. Or at some point, you're not going to do the thing you should do. And guess what? Your faith and your hope. To still be in him. Why? Because he's the God of the valley and he's the God of the mountain. Is he not? When you feel like you're walking on water, you feel like you're floating, the God of the mountain, it's him. He's the one that got you there. When you feel like garbage because you fell short, you missed every commandment, you broke them all, guess what? He's there to pick you up. Here's my closing question Will you commit to growing in holiness? As a faithful, fruitful image bearer. Will you commit to growing in holiness as a faithful, fruitful image bearer? You've been called to be an image bearer. Don't leave here today living the same way you came when you walked in. Repent. Recognize where you need to turn. 
Recognize where you need to align yourself and trust the grace of God. If you don't know Christ, if you have not put your faith in him, whether you're online, whether you're in this place, right now is a moment for you to say, God, I humble myself before you. Forgive me for my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live for your glory. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a moment for you to say, God, I don't want to be a hypocrite anymore. I don't want to continue to drop the ball and not care. I want to live for your glory and honor. This is the moment for you to do that. Let's bow our heads, please. Father God, we come to you in humility and surrender. We submit to you all that is within us, and we pray, God Almighty, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord God, your will in us. We pray, Lord God, that we would be submitted to you, that we would be yielded vessels to you. We pray, God, that we would not live for our own glory but for yours. God, we ask you to forgive us for every way that we have been unholy and unrighteous. And, Lord, I pray that as conviction has gone forward in our hearts, Lord, that we would not silence it with other things, but that we would let that conviction resonate in our souls, but also that we would embrace Embrace the grace, the grace of God that is offered to us because of Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.